Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. And that's especially the case today as we interview Mario Stefanidis, head of research at Round Hill Investments, and they offer ETFs on sports, media, and entertainment. And he speaks to us from his headquarters, their headquarters in New York City. Mario, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Yep, thanks so much for having me on, Charlie. So Mario, you're out of Fordham University not all that long ago. You worked for BlackRock, uh, but now you are at Round Hill. Your guys' focus is an eSports ETF and a betting and iGaming ETF, very unique and new in the marketplace. So let's start with a brief background of Round Hill Investments here, Mario. Sure. So Round Hill is a pretty new asset manager founded in April of 2019 with the mission of bringing uh, innovative thematic ETFs uh, to the market and to a very um, individual and retail investor base. Uh, the first fund that Roundtill launched was the esports ETF NERD, N-E-R-D, back in June of 2019. And this fund was really unique because there were a handful of other video game ETFs out there, but there were none that were specifically targeting this burgeoning and new investable market of esports. Um, and, you know, the ETF was out there for, for a while, um, reached about 10 or 15 million in assets before the second ETF from Ranto launched, which was Bet's sports betting ETF uh, in June of 2020. And that's the ETF that really lifted the whole business. Um, a lot of people, um, latched on to that theme and understood what um, Betts was trying to invest in and understood the improving regulatory landscape for sports betting in the United States. And um, quickly, NERD went from 15 million to right now about 110 million. Um, and Betts is now um, our biggest fund, about 70% of our assets, uh, are right around 530 million in, in, in AUM. Um, okay, Mario. Appreciate that. Let's uh, let's start with uh, nerd with esports. So, uh, what do you guys invest in here? Yeah. So, you know, the ideal goal for nerd would have been to invest in a basket of thirty to forty esports teams. So you can think of these just like traditional pro sports teams in that there's a organization. The organization usually fields teams in um, a lot of different sports. Um, and each team inks sponsorships and brand deals that um, are bringing in um, a substantial amount of the revenues for the parent. Now, since the fund launched, we really haven't seen a lot of esports teams go public, even though I would say there's about a dozen of them that could probably command a valuation over 50 million. Um, you know, they've chosen to go private for a variety of reasons. So the portfolio has a couple of esports teams, but um, most of the names um, are in the esports ecosystem. So the largest weight right now is in a company called Modern Times Group. Um, this is a Swedish-based company that organizes some of the largest esports tournaments. Um, and then just going down the line, we also have um, video game publishers and developers that create the games that are used in esports. 
Um, we have companies that create the peripherals like keyboards, mice, um, that uh, top gamers use to compete. Um, and then we have uh, other companies like streaming companies that host esports tournaments um, for an online viewing audience. And so these other companies, they're public? Yeah, the uh, everything in the portfolio is, um, is is publicly traded and liquid. So are, are you looking to expand that universe or the type of companies that you are investing in? Yeah, you know, the goal is for the portfolio to really be in the esports ecosystem. I think that's what differentiates us from some of the competitor products um, that aren't this focused. So we're, we're kind of keeping it tight in, in that regard. But at the same time, we monitor um, a couple hundred companies um, to see their developments within the esports industry. And we're also constantly monitoring um, the different teams um, within esports to see if they are going to go public or not. And you guys, I understand, do not have a sales force, correct? Yeah, our, I, I think our strategy is very unique among asset managers um, in that we don't have any sort of external or internal sales force. Um, all of the um, promotion that we do is done via one-to-many channels, primarily Twitter, but also LinkedIn and YouTube, um, as well as um, this new social uh, investing brokerage called Public. Um, so yeah, we don't have any people actively selling our funds, but we'll put out content and research on a pretty frequent basis and disseminate that um, to the public. And, and that's what gets us eyeballs. You know, you guys are unique in both of those ways. One is you're focused on esports, uh, and many investors, uh, I, I presume, are going to be older, uh, folks like me and, and Paul here, because uh, that's where the money is. Uh, but you don't even, uh, you know, reach out to them specifically. You're going through channels where us older folks are not typically uh, as experienced in. And then you're talking about esports as the second item that uh, you know very different. I wouldn't know that there are esports teams to even invest in. So well, what are the major objections and hurdles to overcome? that you guys have to overcome for potential interested investors? Yeah, so for NERD, it's exactly what you said um, in terms of um, the appeal of the asset class not being there for you know the older demographic. Um, I saw some research a while back that showed that um, inflows into video game funds are about eight times less than inflows into traditional software funds, even though you can argue that video games um, our software, and um, we've showed that uh, video game companies have similar earnings growth to a lot of these software-as-a-service companies that are growing rapidly and have these very high multiples. Um, so I think that is probably the most challenging thing right now is getting recognition that um, video games and esports are an investable part of the industry. Um, our fund has been around for... Um, coming up on two years now this June, and our performance has uh, really been excellent, uh, especially compared with broad benchmarks like the S&P and, and the NASDAQ. Um, and, you know, I, I hope as the track record continues to flesh itself out um, and we're able to uh, continue to execute, um, that will uh, increase uh, the, the appeal for more 
uh, performance centric investors? Yeah, I've, I've looked at the charts and uh, they're certainly not unimpressive. Uh, it, it isn't fabulous, but it's good, strong uh, growth uh, and the like. And it's not anybody, uh, anything that somebody should, should really be overly concerned or afraid of. Do you have some uh, ideas or statistics to tell us about where uh, economists and others see the esports sector or, 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 or industry going? Yeah, so viewership is growing really rapidly, and that's part of the reason why we include these streaming companies that stream esports to these large audiences. Between 2018 and 2023, um, firm uh, Nuzu, which is this uh, gaming analytics provider, estimates that there's going to be about a 10.3% CAGR um, in viewership growth. And esports viewership is expected to reach right around 650 million by 2023. I think it's a pretty good mix of people who are enthusiasts in esports as well as people who are occasional viewers, just like normal sports. And um, I, I, I think as the audiences grow and as these different niches get carved out, um, the case is really going to be there for perceiving esports the same as you would perceive a, a pro sports team. Um, just to give you some other statistics. Um, the global games market is also growing significant, significantly um, led by mobile emerging markets audiences in countries like China um, and India, for example, they're consuming almost all of their all, all of their video game entertainment via mobile device, via smartphone. So that's expected to grow to about 200 billion in 2023 uh, from about 150 billion today. In talking to you and others about it, I understand that there are these very large gatherings uh, at stadiums where people actually watch esports contests. Can you tell us a little about that? Sure. So, games like there's this particular genre of games called MOBAs, uh, multiplayer online battle arenas, where two teams compete on a map. Um, to try and conquer objectives and uh, beat the enemy team by going into their base. I, I won't get into the specific details of what the genre entails, but some of the two two of the most popular games, uh, esport, uh, two of the most popular esports, League of Legends and Dota Two, uh, are attracting live audiences of ten um, to watch these games live. Uh, League of Legends, one of the most popular video games ever created, and the finals there had viewership close to 50 million, mostly in China. And if you compare this to other large sporting events like the World Series or the NBA Finals, it surpasses that. Uh, so the, these audiences are very large. And um, in addition to the 40 or 50,000 people that may congregate in an arena, you also have a, uh, a magnitude more watching online. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of crazy because there's not as much insight into viewership statistics for esports as there is for traditional sports, mainly because companies like Nielsen, who provide analytics for linear TV, don't do the same thing for online. But I think as that part of the industry also gets fleshed out, you, you're really going to see people become aware of of the growth. You know, a couple of years ago, there was a very interesting article. In fact, it, it introduced me to, to much of what I know, which is not much, uh, about uh, esports. And they talked all about uh, Fortnite. And I had never heard of Fortnite. 
And then I started talking to uh, my grandkids and they all play Fortnite here. So is that the kind of company that, that you would invest in? Not necessarily that you are invested in whoever makes Fortnite, but is that, is that what you're seeking to do? Here? So Fortnite is um, developed and published by a company called Epic Games, one, one of the most popular video games, again, in the world with also a burgeoning esports scene. So the game wasn't intended as an esport. It was more intended as a as more of a casual game, but the esports scene quickly uh, sprang up due to its popularity. Uh, Epic is a private company. They actually just did another fundraising round um, earlier this week at a $28 billion valuation. Uh, we have them in an investment vehicle in a private uh, SPV, uh, but we don't have them in one of our publicly traded ETFs. I so see. they're a company that we love. We, we, we love what they're doing with Fortnite with what they're doing with their vision for a metaverse online, um, but they're not yet public for us to be able to invest in them in, okay. in one of the public funds. And uh, so, so given you, what you've mentioned so far, it sounds like this is a worldwide phenomenon. This is not strictly USA, correct? The That's esports right. movement. So what, what percentage of your investments are in the U.S. and what percentage maybe are in Europe or Asia or what, what can you tell us about that? It's hard to give specific numbers, but I would say more than half of esports revenue right now is coming from China. Uh, and that's mostly from people buying and playing uh, these games that have become esports. A large amount of revenue is also coming from the United States uh, and Europe. Esports are also very popular in some of the coastal Latin American countries like Chile and Peru. It's a really global phenomenon, and uh, you'll see that in the portfolio of NERD. Um, NERD is, let's see, I have the exact numbers right here. NERD is only about a quarter of the United States in, in its investment focus. Then very 20% in China, and the balance is in other Asian and European countries. Okay, so let's move on to BETS here, B-E-T-Z. Well, first of all, what's the legal landscape these days for, for, for online betting? So online betting is a story of uh, regulation and approvals. Um, there's no federal law uh, governing what individual states can do when it comes to approving uh, sports betting. So we've seen states... Um, rapidly legalized sports betting in their territories, especially as a result of the pandemic, where a lot of their tax base either left the state or dried up due to uh, falling incomes. And sports betting has really, I think, proved the way for uh, states to uh, derive more taxes, as well as other things like uh, legalized cannabis, for example. Right now, sports betting is legal and regulated in about half of the United States. And we're seeing a lot more approvals come uh, every month. Just this week, for example, we saw approvals in uh, Maryland and Arizona. And New York uh, is in the process of approving it. Uh, I think the Senate still needs to uh, sign off on the final language, but it's looking like some form of online sports betting is going to be approved as part of the new New York state budget. Okay. And what kind of companies then is your ETF uh, investing in? So, so bets is a, a bit more straightforward than nerd in that uh, a, a lot of these sports books um, are actually investable. 
So uh, we're primarily investing in sports books and the technology providers that underlie these sports book and sports books and provide the technology to facilitate uh, online sports betting. In addition to that, uh, there's this other part of the ecosystem that we're investing in called iGaming. iGaming is just an online casino. It's not specifically sports betting, but these iGaming providers, you, you can play slots, you can play table games on their platforms. This segment of the market has really grown as brick and mortar casinos have closed due to the pandemic. A lot more people who uh, used to gamble traditionally in, in, in these in these brick and mortar institutions are now turning online, primarily investing in sports books, the technology providers that underlie that, as well as iGaming providers and those technology providers as well. Mario, I hate to sound so ignorant, but <laughs> that's the case. What is a sports book? A, a sports book is a venue where you can bet on different outcomes for professional sports. So, for example, let's say there was a basketball game going on and I wanted to bet that one team was going to beat the other. That's a pretty straightforward bet that I could place. The odds are dictated by supply and demand, as for every bet, there's someone on taking the other side as well. And then there's also more specific outcomes that I can bet on. I can bet on what I think the spread is going to be in a particular game by how many points a team might win by. And I can also place bets um, on multiple different outcomes happening uh, during the same game, uh, which has significantly uh, lower odds, but the payoff could be greater. And sports books, again, have been traditionally located in brick and mortar facilities, but with the pandemic, a lot of the industry has shifted online. So I can now place those same bets that I was able to place uh, in a casino um, on my smartphone. And and are these professional teams only? Are these also NCAA teams? Are they yeah. men's teams, women's teams? Yes, it, it's it's all of the above. Um, it's there's there's really no mandate that says that they have to be a, a team in a top league. Uh, so you do see uh, betting in NCAA, uh, especially March Madness. That's a huge uh, time for betting. Yeah, I'm sure uh, it is. Yeah, it's not limited by that. And I, I think one really interesting thing that where, where, where sports betting might intersect with esports is betting on outcomes of different esports games, though that's faced a few hurdles, particularly it's pretty easy to fix matches online, whereas it's a bit more regulated in actual professional sports. But I, I think that represents one intersection where we, we might see our themes bisecting. So again, uh, you have you, you guys, Roundhill has created an ETF that buys into the companies involved in iGaming and uh, sports betting, etc. And those companies have uh, profits uh, or losses or you know, however they operate. And accordingly, uh, your ETF owns them, and as they rise in value or or fall in value, then the ETF becomes more gainful or declines. That, that's basically how it works. Yep. The ETF is just a collection of its portfolio companies. And as individual companies rise and fall, uh, based on what how they're weighted in, in the portfolio, um, you'll see them contribute to the overall return of the fund. And one cool thing with ETFs is 
for the most part, they're fully transparent. So you can see what's going on an intraday basis. Um, you can see what happened at the end of the day, and you can kind of plot returns with any sort of frequency or periodicity that you'd like. And these are all publicly traded companies. Yes. Well, and, and you guys have no sales force. You just send out a Twitter or something and uh, people contact you or they go online and buy or whatever they do, correct? For the most part, uh, it's very self-directed. So people will find us on their brokerage and execute the trade themselves. Sometimes we'll get inbound um, asking for more specific advice. But again, I think one unique thing about our strategy and our audience is it's a very retail and individualized audience that likes doing this research themselves. So we don't need to go out and pitch them why the fund has appeal. They can just look at our research and make an informed decision for themselves. And probably these these are all people who are very interested in that particular niche of the marketplace. And they're, you know, unlike me, they're they're not ignorant of it uh, and unaware of how things work. And so they they decide it's a good idea or not or whatever, correct? That, that, yeah, that's that's exactly right. Well, I tell you, this is fascinating stuff, Mario, and our, our hats off to you guys uh, for being creative and uh, looking at the marketplace and, uh, and figuring things out here. Uh, a couple of general questions that we'd like to get your input on, we asked to all of our guests. Uh, one is, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? So I have two. One Great. is more behavioral and kind of quantitative, and the other is more mix of qualitative and quantitative. So Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman is one of my favorite books. It's a book on behavioral psychology uh, as well as behavioral finance. Um, this is uh, a very famous Nobel laureate from Israel who did research for years into heuristics and behavioral anomalies that investors face and really gives you um, good insight into some things you can avoid in, when you're evaluating investments for yourself or on behalf of your clients. Uh, so that's one. Uh, okay, the other and, one, and by the way, we've had that, that book recommended uh, more than once. So obviously uh, there are many people who recognize it's, it's effectiveness and opportunity. here. Yeah. It's a, it's an excellent book. And uh, the, the second one is uh, thinking fast and slow. Uh, oh, sorry. I mentioned that already. Uh, Narratives and numbers by uh, Aswath Damodaran. He's a NYU professor of finance. And in this book, he kind of blends qualitative ways of thinking about a company, uh, thinking about what the company's mission is, their story is, as well as putting hard numbers behind it. Uh, and the thesis of that book is you can't really only look at numbers on a page and make a decision about whether a company is a worthwhile investment or not. You also need to understand the thesis of the company, what their mode is, what their competitive position is. So you kind of blend both a textual and a numerical approach, and you can make informed decisions about um, different companies that you might want to invest in. Okay. Appreciate both of those. Thank you very much. And finally here, what's the best advice you've ever heard about investing? Sure. So uh, value investing class I had in college, um, our professor said, you can't really invest in a company without tasting the ice cream. And what this means is to be an investor, you need to understand the product. And I think you have to have demoed the product yourself. 
I think it's very hard to to invest in something if you don't believe in what they're selling. Yeah, I, I think it's simple advice, but I think it's practical advice and it's helped me with my investment decisions to date. Okay, thank you very much. So for our listeners who would like to know more here, Mario, where can they go? Our, our website is roundhillinvestments.com and we have a large research section where we cover all of our different themes uh, and post articles there. We also have a section on um, ETF investing in general and what the ETF wrapper entails. And then the second best place I would say is our Twitter at Roundhill, where we frequently t- tweet about our coverage universe and publish new findings there. Okay. Thank you very much. So final words for our listeners from you here, Mario. No, I, I think, um, I think uh, the industries that we cover, uh, you know, they're still very new. And I think as the track records come out and as the thesis continues to get built for uh, the different themes in our coverage universe, I hope people pay attention to uh, what we're trying to invest in and the different areas that we're trying to cover, because it's very unique from the rest of the investment landscape. Uh, Thematic ETFs, are still pretty new. There's just a handful of providers that are issuing them. Um, and the hope is that these different sectors end up shaping the future of the economy and, and, and the market. Okay. Well, Mario, thank you very much for joining us today and our best wishes to you and Round Hill in uh, moving forward successfully here. Thanks for thank, joining. Thanks so much, Charlie. Again, we've been listening to Mario Stefanidis, head of research at Round Hill Investments. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. We'd love to hear from you. Info at strategicinvestorradio.com is how you can get a hold of us. And you can access all of our previous interviews and shows at strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host Charlie Wright or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing.